So, as you might suspect, uh, especially if you've been here very long, um, you might guess that I really, 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 really love the Bible. Um, I know that a lot of people in the world disparage the Bible, but it is the most remarkable book on the face of the earth, and if you only take a little time looking at it and analyzing it and thinking deeply about it, you, I think, would agree, and I'm, I'm assuming that most of you here do agree. One thing I do love about the Bible is, is just how blunt it is. Um, God does not mince His words. God is not appealing to our natural understanding. He's not appealing to our flesh. He's not trying to influence us in some, you know, marketing kind of way. (laughs) He just tells us the truth. It's one reason I love the Bible. It's just truth. It's one reason much of the rest of the world hates the Bible because it's the truth. He speaks hard truth to us. He tells us what no one else in the world will tell us. That is, who He actually is, what He's actually like, oh, and who you actually are and what you're actually like. Um, Most people don't have enough courage to come up to me and tell me what they think I'm like, right? (laughs) Especially the people who know me well. Uh, You really don't want to (laughs) hear what people think you're, you're ultimately like. But God loves us so much, right? He just says what it is. Nowhere else in the world do you get this. In the world, people are always spinning you in one direction or the other. Okay? And of course, you could accuse me, you could accuse me of spinning you. Well, I do have an agenda. My agenda is to have integrity with the text. Okay? It's to say to you as correctly as possible the truth that God has given to us. You can always tell who really loves you because they'll tell you the truth, right? I can remember I was at university. I was a sophomore in university and I was acting badly. I'm sure that's a shock to many of you. Um, I was probably acting like some of you act. And my mom wrote me a long letter. (laughs) Man, she she laid it to me, man. I mean, she she really tore me up. And I thought she really loves me. I mean, who who else would take the time to land on me like that, right? I still actually have this letter. <laughs> okay, this was back in nineteen yikes nineteen seventy five. It was the most important. It was the most important letter that a human being ever wrote to me. Okay. It was, just, it was just honest. And she challenged me on all the things I, I, I was involved in that was self-destructive. So, I thought about it. I've told you many times I became a Christian at 28, and I, I got to thinking about it. I don't think I'd ever confronted anybody with the truth before I was a Christian. Of course, one, one sense is, in one sense, I, I didn't really care about the truth. I was kind of a moral relativist, and I just, it, I didn't, it didn't matter to me. Nor did I want the hassle. You know, when you confront somebody who's going the wrong direction, sometimes it just gets out of control. Sometimes it's just a hassle. You know what I mean? It's just hard work. It takes a lot of emotional energy to, to, to care about somebody like that. And I don't think I actually ever cared about anyone like that before I became a Christian. 
But after I became a follower of Jesus, and some of you will relate to this, maybe most of you, after I became a follower of Jesus, I saw that it really matters how you live. It really matters. It matters a lot how you live every day of your life. It matters what you believe. It matters how you talk. It matters how you surf the internet. It matters what you do on the date. All of this matters. If you claim to be a Christian, all of it matters a lot. So, it's important for us. There are catastrophic temporal and eternal consequences to how we live our lives. And you have to, you know, you have to love somebody. If you know the truth, if you have a biblical worldview, you understand who Jesus is and what Jesus did. If you have a biblical worldview, it's really our obligation to speak truth into the lives of those who are around us, right? You say, well, Jim, they don't want to hear. I understand that. Most of the time they don't want to hear. But you pick your spots and you build relationships and you try to, you know, take the conversation to a place where you can insert spiritual truth. We do that because we love people. Not because we're self-righteous, religious, you know, men and women. We do it because we understand there are catastrophic consequences to living contrary to the words of Jesus. And as some of you know, and I know quite well, that can be a huge personal risk to actually do this. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So who knows what an intervention is? You got, all you guys know what that is, right? You ever been involved with an intervention? You know, where um, friends and family come together to confront someone that they care for because they're... Um, Engaged in self-destructive activity. A lot of times it's drugs, alcohol, um, these kinds of things. And so the, the loved ones confront the person that they care for, right? They confront them. I looked up the word intervention. It means to interfere. It means to get involved. It means to intrude oneself. And I thought about this. This is what God has done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this you know the the gospel is like a, a, it's like a cosmic intervention, right? That's really what the gospel is. God has decided that instead of simply judging us, which He should have done, that He would interfere, that He would get involved, that He would intrude into our lives. It's really, in one sense, a perfect picture of the gospel and the gospel of John has been one intervention right after another in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us this is an intervention you me every human being who's ever lived We've decided that sin is better than God. We've decided that, that independence is better than God. We've decided that we'll do our own thing and that's far better than God. God is simply coming and saying, you're wrong in every case. I'm way better than anything else you think is better than me. I'm way better. And I love how C.S. Lewis talks about this, right? C.S. Lewis talks about how mankind is far too easily pleased. You know, we settle for all this, you know, temporal Stuff that, that we don't get to keep anyway. God says, I'm better. It's really what the gospel is about. 
God says, I'm better. And He invites us into the family. So God has come to get us off the stupid stuff. I say lovingly to you, some of you are still knee-deep in the stupid stuff. You're not hearing God's Word. You're not obeying God's Word. You're not giving heed to God's Word. You're still doing the suicidal stuff. The stuff that's taking you away from the One who created you. The, 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 the stuff that's taking you away from the One who has offered redemption to you. Some of you are still playing around with the damning stuff that will separate you from Him forever. Last week, we heard Jesus say, if you abide in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine and you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. These are words of intervention. And I challenged you last week, do you really want to be free? Well, the way to be free is to get into the Word of God and submit to everything Jesus Christ has said. Say, Jim, that doesn't sound like freedom. It is freedom. God says it's freedom. Right? The world says it's bondage. The devil says it's bondage. Hey, come go with me, the devil says. Eat, drink, and be merry. And we talked about it last week. Sin and death are the slave masters. You want to be a slave? Ignore the Word of God. You want to be a slave? For eternity? Be a free, free agent. Declare your independence from the One who created you. These words of Jesus about abiding in His Word and, and being free, it just made me think, and I'm sorry, I always go back to this, but Isaiah 65.1 and, and, and Ezekiel 33.11, God says, here I am, why will you die? Here I am, why will you choose death? Why will you settle? Why will you settle for that which can never satisfy your soul? when I have offered Myself to you. So God has come in the person of Jesus Christ to get us off Satan's lies and get us onto His truth that we might be free from sin and death. So tonight, as we continue this long dissertation, this long discourse between Jesus Christ and the religious leaders, um, Jesus just continues to speak hard truth. And it gets really pointed tonight. You heard the text read. What does Jesus say to these guys? The most religious people who've ever lived. A Hebrew Pharisee. No one's ever been more religious than a Hebrew Pharisee. Ever. By a multiple of ten. This guy was a professional religious guy. What does Jesus say to him? You are of your father the devil. Now, this should have huge impact for anyone, right? For anyone to say, well, what does he mean by that? How how could religious men be sons of Satan? How, How could that possibly be true? Well, if you've been in this church very long, you probably understand how that could be true. But Jesus is... Yeah, this is hard, unvarnished truth. It's brutal truth. And what is the truth of God? What is the hard truth of God? What is it always? It's a call to come. It's a call to repentance. Jesus is calling these guys. He's speaking hard truth to them, right? Why? Because He cares enough to do it. 
He cares enough to do it. So he's speaking really brutal truth. It's an act of love. It's a call to repentance. Now, Jesus has been on the scene for two and a half years by now. Six months away from the cross. Right? The, the Pharisees know about Him. They've heard His words. They, they've seen some of the deeds. They've heard all the reports. And it's not that they don't believe. It's that they won't believe. They just won't believe. Right? They refuse to believe in face of all of the evidence, they will not believe. They wouldn't believe when Lazarus came out of the tomb. Most of these guys will not believe when he calls a dead man who's been dead for four days. When Jesus calls the man out of the tomb, they still won't believe. And they never deny that a dead man came out of the tomb. They just want to kill Christ. Okay? The hallmark of religious haters of the true God. The world is filled. There are billions of religious men and women who hate the true God. If we understand what the Bible says about mankind, we understand that that is true. We understand that that is true. So in light of this obvious fact, Jesus' warnings become more severe. These men are rejecting Him. They are rejecting Him. They are rejecting Him. And His warnings become harsher and harsher and harsher. And it's still a call to come. I mean, you have to kind of think about it, right? If this, At least they acknowledge that He is some kind of prophet. If a prophet calls you the son of Satan, you have to kind of stop and think about it, right? Don't you? I don't know. These guys don't. They don't seem to stop and think about it at all. They just seem to continue to spar with Jesus. So tonight, I just want to say this. He shows, he, Jesus is showing the hard truth, not only about these Pharisees, but about you and me if we are outside of Christ. If we are outside of Christ, we are sons of the devil. This is biblical truth. Okay? There's no place in the middle. You either belong to Christ or you belong to Satan. You, can't, you, you, don't, get to, you don't get to stand in the middle and say, no, I, I don't belong either place. Yes, the Bible says you belong in one place or the other place. There's no middle ground when it comes to spiritual matters. We are in Christ or we are not in Christ. And what does Jesus say in the Gospel of Matthew? If you are not with me, what? You are against me. There's no middle ground. You know, I know the world likes to talk about like there's some kind of fuzzy, warm middle place, right? We're all children of God. Well, if we read our Bibles, we understand that we're not all children of God. Yes, He created us, but spiritually we are not all children of God. Some men are children of Satan. You say, Jim, I... I don't like that. I didn't say it. Jesus Christ said it. To men who thought they knew God. Beloved, this is a somber... John 8, and I know we've been in it for a long time. We've got one more sermon in John 8. It gets a little better. Uh, but it's, it's been hard. I know it's been hard. It's a hard text. As I, I told you, John Piper... Uh, Said, and of course, he, I think the guy's read every book that was ever been published, has anything to do with the Bible, right? You know, and, and he said, your, your modern liberal actually hates John 8 more than any other chapter in the Bible. And I think we can see 
and understand why that is true. Verse 37. So this discussion is going on. Um, they have claimed to be Abraham's... Up, back up in verse 33, the, the Pharisees have claimed to be Abraham's offspring. Uh, and they say, we've never been enslaved. Of course, that's false. Um, not only you know, temporally, but spiritually. But verse 37, Jesus says, I know that you are Abraham's offspring, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. So what is Jesus saying here? Again, it's a response to verse 33. These guys don't think they need. They actually don't need God. They're so religious. They're so perfectly religious. They don't need God. They know God is really impressed with who they are, how they live, what they do. They don't need a Savior. They don't need one. They are sons of Abraham. And mankind's been doing this ever since the garden. What happened in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned and when God came and and called Adam to account? What happened? Anybody remember? Remember? Well, that was one, that's excellent. One thing, they, one thing he did is he blamed his wife. First, he blamed God. It's this woman you gave me. Right? So, this is one thing men do. Uh, they, they deflect uh, the guilt. They deflect the blame. Beloved, you can't do that. Right? You can't do that with the biblical God. He doesn't play that game. You can't fool him. You can fool me, but you can't fool him. Yes, he blamed Eve and he blamed God. Another thing he, uh, Adam did was he hid from God. You know, a lot of men just mentally hide from God. I, I, I just put God out of my mind. I won't think about God. Maybe God won't find me, right? Maybe, maybe God won't find me. And I put Him out of my head. I put Him out of my heart. You know, uh, I'll hide from God. It's what He was doing. Adam was hiding in the bushes. Secondly, another thing he was doing, remember he covered himself with a fig leaf. And every theologian worth his salt will tell you this, this is just a, a metaphor for religion, Right? He covered himself with a fig leaf. This is his religion. He wants to make himself acceptable to God. That he can walk into the presence of God. So he won't be naked in the presence of God. He'll have, a, he'll have some covering. He'll have some religious covering. This is what mankind does. It's part of the power and the dread of the Gospel. The, 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 the power of the Gospel, it re, the Gospel reveals yourself to yourself. Okay? This is the power of the Gospel. It's also the dread of the Gospel. Because we find out who we really are. Right? God tells us who we really are. Not who I think I want to be. And not how I project so people will think, uh, you know, Pastor Jim is a really, he's a really, really cool guy. Right? He, he's got it perfectly going on or whatever. God tells us who we really are. You know, if you're a Bible reader, you're just always humble, right? You're just always humble. Um, if you're receiving the Word of God in a proper way, you cannot hide from your sin, beloved. You cannot cover your sin. You cannot blame anyone else. You are guilty. Just as I am. So these guys think, hey, I'm okay. I'm, I'm a son of Abraham. And it's like much of the world today, outside of Christianity, they have their self-made covering. The Muslim, the Buddhist, uh, the Hindu, the, the deist, the animist, the Scientologist. God help those guys. 
right? They have some kind of covering. that They, they feel self-righteous and they feel kind of self-justified in, in all that they do and all that they believe. And, but we also have it, what, inside Christianity. Many think that their religious cover is, is enough for their sin before God because I prayed the magic prayer. And my pastor told me, well, if I pray this magic prayer, then I should never doubt my salvation. Of course, what does the Bible clearly teach about salvation? If it's real, what? If it's real, what? It's going on. It's not something you did. It's something you are. Okay? You are a disciple because you're saved. You know, we talked about it last week. I, I don't become a disciple because I'm saved. I, I, I become a, a disciple because I discover I am saved and I, and I want to follow the Lord, right? We don't become a disciple to be saved. I think I said it wrong. We don't become a, a disciple to be saved. We become a disciple because we are saved. This is the truth of the Bible. You remember what John the Baptist said to these guys, these religious guys, way more religious than you will ever be by a factor of at least ten. <laughs> John the Baptist says, Oh, you're sons of Abraham? Oh, that's great! God is able to make sons of Abraham from what? These stones! Beloved, don't come before God with your religion and your self-righteousness and your good works. You come before God humble and contrite. What is it that God delights in? A humble and contrite spirit. God delights in. Right? Please don't come to God in a self-righteous way. So God is not impressed if you're a Baptist or a Methodist or an Anglican or a Presbyterian. Blah, blah, blah. Jesus said, if you believe that Jesus is a truth teller, I happen to believe that He is. If you go to Matthew 7, Jesus said there will be many religious people in hell. Even those who profess to follow Christ because they never knew Him. It always goes back to relationship. Jesus says, I don't know who you are. Depart from Me, you who practice lawlessness. So, verse 37 still, you say you're sons of Abraham, but you're trying to kill Me because My Word has no place in you. So we see this contrast from last week. Jesus says, if you're Mine, you will abide in My Word. You'll love My Word. You'll eat My Word. You'll incarnate My Word. But he's saying to these guys, and I looked at the, the Greek here, but he's saying to these guys, my word has no entrance into you. It has no free course in you. You do not receive it. You do not accept it. The child of God abides in the world. The, the child of the devil, there is no acceptance of the word of God into the heart and into the life. Last week we heard Jesus say, you abide in My Word. We talked about it. It's a disciple thing. What do disciples do? Anybody remember from last week? What do disciples do? They learn from God and then they do what God says. And salvation is discipleship. Discipleship is salvation. So, you know, we can all kind of test ourselves here. Am I in the Word of God, learning the Word of God? Is it one of the priorities of my life to know the Word of God 
right? To eat the Word of God and then to incarnate the Word of God, to be a word-doer, not, not someone who you know, simply deludes themselves because they believe a few right things, but because we are doers of the Word. Verse 38, Jesus says, I speak the things which I have seen with My Father, therefore you also do the things which you heard from your Father. In short, Jesus says, I speak the language of My Father and you do the same. And He's going to say it in verse 44. We've already heard the text read. He's referencing the devil. Verse 39, They answered and said to Him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. So they reiterate, they are the children of Abraham. This is their mantra. I guess they think this is going to bring them salvation. We are the sons of Abraham. We are the sons of Abraham. We are the sons of Abraham. And John the Baptist says, Oh, that's great. God can make a son of Abraham from a rock. So, what was the preeminent deed of Abraham here? What would you guess? What is the preeminent deed of Abraham here? He says, do the deeds of Abraham. What's the preeminent deed of Abraham? Pardon me? Works by faith. He believed. The two Greeks. <laughs> the two Greek girls. They nailed it. Remember when God was dealing with Abraham? And the, the text simply says, I think it's Genesis 12, I don't recall. The text simply says, Abraham believed. And then the Word of God says, and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Yes, Abraham did amazing things, right? He left his home not knowing where he went. He tied his wealth to God. He interceded for the lost. He obeyed the Lord regarding the offering of Isaac. He did amazing deeds. But the deed that pleased God, first and foremost, was he believed God. Right? Not in some academic or you know, doctrinal way. He believed with all of his life, this is what God wants from that you believe with all of your life. Not just the little part on Sunday, right? All of your life. This is what pleases God. This is doing a great thing. Some of you want to do a great thing for God? Hey, I do too. But you know what He's taught me as an old man? Just delighting in God is a great thing. I, don't, I never have to leave my office. I don't have to leave my office. I don't have to go to, you know, uh, Iraq and be martyred. Now, if God calls me to go to Iraq, um, after I pray a lot, I, I may go to Iraq, right? But what's, what's really you know, a, a big deal with God is that I'm content to sit in my office and delight in God. This is a big deal with Him. You want to do something important for God? If you really want to, Delight in God, in your work, in your studies, in your relationships, in your internet, sur uh, surfing. I mean, just delight in God. The Lord loves that when we do. By the way, that's Genesis 15, not Genesis 12. So Jesus is saying, you are not doing the deeds of Abraham. You are not believing Me. You are not believing 
This is the ultimate accusation against the Pharisees. Just briefly, um, I just want to make this, this is so important um, for Jew and Gentile. You know, um, Paul talks about this in Romans 9. He talks about it in Galatians 3. They are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Okay, Jesus, the Word of God makes this plain. Son of Abraham, so what? The Bible says, just because you are descended from Israel doesn't mean you are of Israel. Neither are they children because they are Abraham's descendants, Romans 9. It's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, Romans 9. It is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. This is, again, at least in part what Jesus is saying in John 8. It's always about faith. It's always about faith. We talked about it Wednesday night with the young adults. Christianity, true biblical Christianity, is not performance-based. We are not accepted based on our performance. We are accepted by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Of course, the Bible's pretty clear. If you've come into real relationship with Jesus Christ, there won't be performance. They'll just be, they'll just be glad, reckless, joy, obedience. Right? <laughs> this is not performance. This is, I love this awesome God and I will obey Him for the rest of my days. So, big difference there. Verse 40, But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. So, you call yourself sons of Abraham. Why do you seek to kill me? How did Abraham respond to pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ showed up to Abraham? You know, the Bible, I, I looked at the, the words uh, the other day in, in studying for this, and the Bible says that God came to Abraham several times, and a couple of times it said God appeared to Abraham. Okay, so when God came or when God appeared, if He came in a fleshly form, we know He's pre-incarnate Christ. That may be new to some of you. But it's pre-incarnate Christ. Okay? How did Abraham receive God when God showed up? It was always the same. He honored God. He listened to God. He believed God. He worshipped God. He obeyed God. Okay? It's always the same. And Jesus saying. Hey, that's what Abraham did, and you guys are trying to kill me. I showed up with two angels uh, to Abraham to talk to him about the Sodom and Gomorrah thing, and he received me. He said, you're not the sons of Abraham. You do not receive me. You seek to kill me. So what do they mean here? Um, well, let's move on to verse 41. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. You are doing the deeds of your father. Again, verse 44 will tell us, he's saying that they are of their father, which is Satan. So what do they mean about this fornication thing? There are several different takes on this. You can read different commentaries. Uh, but I, 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 one of the ones that I saw over and over again. I think it's a backhanded um, insult to Jesus because there's this rumor about Jesus, right? There's this rumor about Him. 
that he was born of fornication. And so, they, I believe it's a, it's a backhanded insult against him. That's at least one of the things that it could be. Can you see the arrogance of these men here? God is standing before them and they are calling him illegitimate. Let's just be candid. They're calling him a bastard. Okay? You know, there's a lot of people in the modern world who don't want to accept the virgin birth. Well, people who denounce or, or decry or uh, reject the virgin birth, they're actually saying the same thing to Jesus. Right? They're, they're, saying, they're, they're calling Him illegitimate. Because the Bible clearly uh, maintains and, and, and claims that Jesus was born of a virgin. So, verse, 30, uh, verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love Me, for I proceeded forth from uh, and have come from God, for I have not even come on My own initiative, but He sent Me. Jesus shows them what the essential issues in this life uh, are. This is what you were designed for. This is what you were created for. This is what you were put here for. To know Jesus Christ, right? To know Him. And Jesus says, I I came from the Father that you would love Me. If God were your Father, you would love Me. I proceeded forth and have come forth from God. It's another way that Jesus has been saying it over and over and over again. I am God. I'm equivalent to God. I'm equal to God. I'm the Son of God. I'm the Son of Man. You know, He said it maybe 35 different ways through the first eight chapters of John Jesus shows them the essential life issue here. If God were your Father, you would love Me. What, what's, what's the greatest commandment? The lawyer asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? You guys know this. What is the greatest commandment? That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is why, you, this is why God thought you up and dreamed you up and designed you and built you. It's why your mother and father came together. It's why you're walking around on the planet that you might love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the ultimate purpose of your being. You say, no, Jim. My ultimate purpose is, you know, to, to, to have a great career or to have a great family or to, you know, acquire wealth or to self-actualize or be a great humanitarian or be a great, you know, religious paragon of virtue. No. Your principal and preeminent purpose on this planet is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And until you begin to pursue that goal, which none of us ever actually arrive, right? But we're pursuing that goal. This is where you find your joy and your pleasure and your treasure in this life. You say, Jim, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not, yeah, I don't have the joy I should have. It's on you. I, I tell you this all the time. It's on you. God says, Come. Here I am. Come. Why then should you die? Jesus says, if God were your Father, 
you would love me. So I will ask you, lovingly ask you, do you love Jesus Christ? Don't tell me you believe in Him. I know you believe in Him unless you're here and you don't profess to be a Christian. But here, here's, the, here's the deal. Satan believes in Him. The demons believe in Him. They believe everything He says. They do not love Him. So the question for you and I, from John 8, do you and I love Him? Do we love Him? Many outside Christianity say they love God or they worship God, but they reject Jesus Christ. Every religion outside of Jesus Christ, in one way or the other, demeans or rejects Jesus Christ. Many inside Christianity say they love God or worship God, but are in reality more or less on a daily basis indifferent to Him. There's no real love affair going on. Jesus said, if God is your Father, you would love Me. So I just ask you again, do you love Him more than you love your wife? More than you love your mother. More than you love your husband. More than you love your kids. This is the kind of love that happens with God. There's no kind of fourth tier kind of love. Well, I love Him after all. That's not the kind of love God's talking about. Do you love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? This is what you were created for. This is what God is calling you to. Because everything else is bondage, beloved. Everything else is bondage. You want to be free? Love Jesus. <laughs> You'll be radically free, man. You'll be radically free. Okay, verse 43. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It's because you cannot hear my Words. I love John 5.25. Jesus said, The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who do hear shall live. Right? The dead will hear, and the ones who do hear shall live. Jesus expands on this in verse 47 of John 8. He who is of God hears, right? The words of God. You remember what... The believer is before they come into belief, Ephesians chapter 2. You remember the things Paul says about us? He says, man, I'll just read it to you. He says, man, you're dead. You were dead. You were spiritually dead. Then he says, you were, you were a son of disobedience. He says, you were indwelling uh, in sin. He said, you were children of wrath. This is what you were, right? But Ephesians chapter 2, but God made us alive in Christ, Right? But God did this. Jesus said the dead will hear. And they will hear. Those who hear shall live. It made me think of John 12. That hard passage over in John 12, verse 37 to 40. Let me just read it to you. Because some of the men standing there, this has already happened to them. Okay? This is our, they are already under God's judgment. Listen to John 12, 37 to 40. But though He had performed, Jesus had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in Him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which He spoke, The Lord, uh, Lord who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe. 
For Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they would not see with their eyes and perceive with the heart. Jesus says in Matthew 16 that the Spirit of God convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But most of mankind rejects this. Okay? They reject the conviction that God sins regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. And I, told, I think I told the young adults this week or last week, every time the Gospel's preached, what's happening? Can anyone tell me? There are two things that are always happening when the Gospel preached. There's, there's a thousand things happening. God's always doing 10,000 things all at once. But what are the two principal things that are happening when I preach the Gospel or anyone else preaches the Gospel? Liana. Exactly. God is always doing these things. He's always doing these two things. Some of you who will reject God, ultimately, you are being judged. Those of you who receive uh, uh, God uh, through Christ, you will be saved. These things are always happening. Some of these men are already judged. Their, their hearts have been hardened and their eyes have been closed. Okay, Because they have willfully been rejecting God. And it's the Word of God. For this reason, they could not believe. Judgment had already fallen. You can't play games with Jehovah God. You can't play games with Him. You know, you, you can't be fast and loose with Jehovah God. I looked at Hebrews 3.15 uh, yesterday. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. Verse 44, You are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. I, again, I, <laughs> this is brutal truth, right? This is brutal truth. It's why I love the Bible, God's full disclosure. You know, you want to know the truth about God? You want to know the truth about you? Just read your Bible. You'll bump into it. You'll find out for sure. You'll find out for sure. So, he who is not with me, as I said earlier, is against me, God says. So, you say, Jim, this is awful direct. This is awful brutal. Yes, it's a call to repentance. It's always a call to repentance. This is why we talk hard to our friends and family sometimes. It's why We don't do it all the time. We pick our spots. We feel that the, 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 the Spirit of God is at work and we begin to speak the truth. Right? Sometimes the relationship is lost, but that's a price we're willing to pay. Why? Because we love the person. You know, in the world today, the world calls truth intolerance. They call it hate speech. But we as Christians know when Jesus speaks hard to these religious men, it's a call to repentance. And when we speak hard truth, unvarnished truth, brutal truth, it's because we care. It's not because we don't. So, Jesus speaks of Satan as a living being. I just want to touch base on a few things regarding Satan. He's alive. He's a personality. He's a murderer and a liar from the beginning. What's Jesus talking about here? Satan murdered the whole human race in the garden, right? <laughs> he got him to eat. And God says, the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Okay, so physical death began. Spiritual death happened. 
He, he murdered the whole human race through His lies. Peter captures the essence of Satan's work. On the, on the earth, the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Jesus says Satan is the father of lies. It's why I always say to you, every so-called religion in the world, it's demonic. I know some of you don't like this. You've told me I don't like it when you say this, Jim. But it's the logical extension that Satan is the father of all lies. And if a religion is lying about Jesus, we know where that religion came from. It came from the father of lies. I'm not trying to be a bigot. I'm not trying to be intolerant. I'm trying to speak the truth. And you're supposed to do the same thing in the world. You're supposed to speak the truth in the world. I know it's not always easy. I know it's uncomfortable. I know that people turn on you. I know that you lose relationships. I know that it's costly. I know that it's emotional ta- emotionally taxing. I understand. But God has called you to do these things. I always love 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4. through Paul says, if the Gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are dying. In whose case the God... Little, you know. Small case G, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. I looked up the message paraphrase here. It says, these people are going the wrong way. All right, these religious men are going the wrong way. Jesus is speaking pointedly to them. Some of you have friends, they're going the wrong way. Will you speak pointedly to them? All, all they have eye, eyes for is the fashionable God of darkness. I'm reading the message again. They think He can give them what they want. But we know different. We know the world can't give them anything ultimately that will last and satisfy them. We know this. How dare us not tell the world this? We know this. It's unloving not to tell them unloving beloved it's wrong of us let's finish verse 45 but because I speak the truth you do not believe me which one of you convicts me of sin if I speak truth why do you not believe me he who is of God hears the words of God for this reason you do not hear them because you are not of God if you don't hear the words of God you're not of God It's what Jesus says. This is not, these are not my words. So the question for you and me and every person on the planet, Jesus says, if I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? So uh, here's the question for you. Why do you not believe God? And again, how do we know we've really believed? Because it's, it's in the life. It's spilling out. It spills out into the world. It spills out onto my friends. It spills out onto my family. Right? My neighbors. It spills out onto my neighbors. Alright? So, I noted a few weeks ago that one day all will know that Jesus speaks the truth. Every eye will see Him. Every tongue will confess. Even the damned. So, I'll finish. I just love the Bible. I love that God loves and respects me enough to speak the truth to me. 
the truth about myself, the truth about Him. You can always tell who it is that really loves you. They will tell you the truth, whether you like it or not. So I lovingly tell you, if you... If you're not in Jesus Christ, the temporal and eternal consequences of your life will be disastrous. You're believing Satan's lies. You have settled. You are far too easily pleased and Satan will take you to hell. But Jesus says, if God were your Father, you would love Me. So I just close with this simple question. Do you love Him? And we know, don't we? We all know. We know the answer to that question. It's not a hard question. Do you love Him? Do you love Him? Jesus says, if God were your Father, you would. I pray that God is your Father. If you have questions about these things, please come talk to me, email me, call me. Happy to talk with you about these things. But beloved, this is an important text, right? It's an important text. It's important that we understand what Jesus is saying to these religious men. Let's pray together. Lord, we love You. We praise You. Thank You for the truth. Thank You that You've loved us enough to share Your truth with us. We know that Your hard truth is always a call to repentance, so we rejoice and give thanks that You have put these words in the Bible that we might examine ourselves and be willing to talk to our friends, be willing to share hard truth, not because we are intolerant, but because we love We just seek to model the behavior of our Savior. So help us, Lord, we pray. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand. I'll read a benediction and we'll be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. God bless. Have a great week. Thank you. There's, um, there's a singer, a Christian singer, who's got into a song. I think I've